Uber Boyo. Welcome to the metagame. How are you doing, sir? What's going on? How's life? So, uh, Thucycides said the society that separates its scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. What do you mean by that? Well, we're getting right into the meat of things, aren't we? We're getting right into the meat of things. I guess, I don't know, immediately what comes to mind is one of my big shticks. One of the guys I'm always banging about is Carl Jung. And he's constantly saying that you must become an individuated man. It's not, it's not the, the take. And to be an individuated man is a very, very difficult thing to figure out because you're basically playing this video game. And as Jung would phrase it, you have uh, your, your shadow or your opposites. And of course, Jung inconveniently says, your shadow and your opposite is something that you can't see. You're not aware of. You're not conscious. It's in your unconscious, as they say. So it's outside your field of awareness. So you go out into the world, and if you want to upgrade your character and become the most developed person you can, you have to go and integrate your opposites, as he says. So I, the mm. channel that I run for everybody who's listening, I run a channel called Uberboyo. And uh, a while ago, I realized that an awful lot of people I was speaking to were exactly like me. They were creative people. And the creative person sort of goes through this process of individuation. So you start out, and you have all these traits, creativity. You're very open-minded. You're very uh, big to open to new ideas. Uh, this is very interesting politically as well, because I think an awful lot of us were like this, where we would, you might even describe us as like extremist liberals. You know, we're all like Russell Brand type characters. And we have these big open ideas and we're really open to the big concepts and all this type of stuff. But then we, we lack all these, these, these things, like being lost in this childlike world of the imagination is usually going to turn you into the typical artist. And the artist is broke, doesn't understand reality, can't get organized, not in their body, addicted to heroin, all these type of things. Now, mm. this is sort of like an archetype or a character you're given. It's like to be the artist, that's what you're going to be, broke, stuck in a mattress somewhere, making shit art, being a loser and all this. But that's obviously not true. That's not really exactly how it works because you could imagine, you could theorize an artist who's creative but also takes that creativity and grounds it in organizational skills. So this would be like an artist who goes to, to his opposite type of character. And then he's a different man altogether, you know? And, and you actually look at like Superman from throughout history and they were the characters like this. Uh, Napoleon, you know, super creative, wrote mm. novels, um, big open-minded genius guy. Alexander the Great, same. Like, believed in the big ideas, but was also highly organized and grounded. Alexander, you know, really understood logistics and would always talk about the importance of that to run an army. And like, he, it's his big dreams about taking over the world and becoming the most famous man who ever lived was grounded in can I supply food to my army? And Napoleon's the same, like the army marches on its stomach and all this stuff. And so you start to see there's an integration of this creativity into something grounded. And then the same as uh, integrating the ideas world into something that is physical. You see this an awful lot. So this archetype we're given today of the modern academic is the guy who goes and embraces his nerd instinct and becomes like a book coper. And he goes and he mm -hmm. goes and starts to read an awful lot of books and all this type of stuff. But it's it's like almost the same as the the broke artist. It's like that's a shitty rendition of what your potential could be. Instead, you could go and you could go and hit the gym and lift and become massive and jacked and badass and and learn to fight and then go and actually learn all that stuff as well. And there's these weird interactive effects, crossover effects between these because you go and you learn jujitsu and it will actually educate you in the meaning of intelligence and sophistication and chess and strategy. And so these physical practices will in, um, 
enhance your intellectual practices and make you a whole person. And what you finally realize when you study something like philosophy or spe specifically if you go go about it properly with the likes of Nietzsche and all this, that pretty much all of these characters say this. Like Socrates would say that your body should be preordinate. Plato was a wrestler. Nietzsche was big on the body. Jung is speaking about these type of things as well. And the whole warrior philosopher is actually the, the correct archetype to be aiming at, not the sort of decrepit guy in a coffee, in a French coffee shop being a weirdo, writing about existentialism and all this stuff. So I think that's maybe my short, my short take on that. And that, that was an attempt at short. I wanted to start with that quote because I think that quote is the most compressed way that I can represent what I think you're up to. It seems to me that you personally are trying your best to embody the wisdom of Thucydides. Like you're obviously a very scholarly, erudite, articulate, storyteller, creative type person. <laughs> but I also know that you, you train. I know you do boxing. And I've seen you uh, triple the circumference of your neck in the last three years. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, and I, I think none of this. I don't think you're None of this seems to be by accident, as as you just hinted at, right? You're not boxing just because it's fun. This all seems to be the practical outcome of a very coherent personal philosophy that is obviously very strongly influenced by Nietzsche. So I'd love to dive in more into what that philosophy is, but first. What was it that set you on this journey? Was there an event, an inflection point in your life where all of this kind of clicked, where you wanted to integrate your shadow, you wanted to become like the warrior philosopher? No, the, the intellectual stuff actually had very little help. Like it didn't really do much at all. It didn't really uh, like have that much of an influence. It was more like, uh, I'll explain where maybe Jung and Nietzsche and philosophy really helped me, uh, but that came actually later. So I think mm. primarily... Um, I was just good at listening to my gut. Like, that's really what it comes down to. So when I went into school, um, I went into college, I should say. I entered into college and I had a very sort of basic feeling that I was not good enough. And I think all young guys, to some extent, have this feeling. This is why, you know, 80% of the content consumed by women is like related to their looks and their sexuality, whereas 80% of the online content consumed by men is related to self-improvement. I think men have this implicit belief that they're not good enough and they need to transform. And so what you sort of notice when you're a young dude is that you're like, you know, I, I wish I could be something else. And you might even look at your heroes like... Conor McGregor, although he's not really a hero to people anymore, but, you know, a character like that or uh, Tyler Durden or Tate is a big one right now for lads. And you see these mm -hmm. these men who've achieved great things and you feel this aspiration. You're like, I'm not I'm not I'm not like this dude. I can't do what this dude can do. And so you say to yourself, All right, I, I would like to transform. I would like to become that person. I'd like to become that hero. And this is like, you know, the, the, the deep ancient Greco-Roman consciousness returning, the great deep Nietzschean consciousness returning of like these supermen are the people I believe in and they're beyond good and evil. It's not it's not about like you're not looking at Tate or Conor McGregor or Tyler Durden and saying, oh, he's a moral guy or he's this or he's that or he's, mm -hmm. it's none of that stuff. You're looking at him and being like, he's a fucking badass. He can do he's free. He's a free man, a free spirit, creative, bombastic, energetic life, full of life, fun, exciting, genius, intelligent, sharp, witty, all like all these traits are wrapped up inside these characters and that's the classic hero Alexander the Great Achilles all those type of guys Hercules there's billions of these characters that have appeared in history you could just name them all if you want but this is the sort of manifestation and I was no different when I was a young dude I was looking at Fight Club I was looking at um, fighters you know when Conor McGregor came up like I was like holy shit this dude is amazing and um, 
I was inspired by people, you know, and I would look at myself and I would look at the, my, like, I'd look at friends around me and I'd look at guys that were the cool guys and all this stuff. And they would, um, yeah, some of them would be absolute badasses, you know, some of them would be athletic, some of them would be really creative, like techno DJs, some of them would be excellent singers, some of them would be just really charismatic and good with girls. And I'd look at all these and get a little inkling of the hero inside of them, something that I'd like to be more like mm-hmm. them. And I'd env- sometimes I'd envy them, you know, sometimes I'd be mad, I'd be sitting there and I'd be stewing, I'd be like, fucking bastards, they're so much better than me and all this shit. But you, you, you're, you're seeing behind it this this implication of what you could become and something very deep gut instinct within me was like feeling that pressure feeling that not being good enough feeling that envy and combined with this I was I was going through the education system and the education system was answering none of those deep emotions I was going in and I was sitting down and I was having critical race theory dropped in front of me and feminist mm-hmm. theory from uh, Judith Butler's uh, theories dropped in front of me and Marxism I was learning the humanities and I was sitting there and I was reading this shit and I was like, this this, 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 this isn't speaking to me. It didn't do anything for me. This isn't answering any of my problems. This is just cope. It's just shoving theory into my head and it's making things more complicated. And this is not right. This is not helping. This is something, there's something not right about this stuff. It's not answering this problem. It's not giving me anything to aspire to. And around about that time, I came across like Plato and Socrates. I was in, you know, I was going to college. So I was sort of like, well, fuck, I'm paying for this shit. I should try and make something out of this. And I was like, these books are, these books are junk, like Communist Manifest. I'm not reading this crap. I just like throw that shit out. I don't care, you know? And then I go to the library. I remember this is a big deal for me at one point. I, I just sort of said, I'm enough of the theory selling. And I went to the library and I went to the Greeks and I started to read Plato and Greek philosophy and I, I re- read Nietzsche and stuff like this. And I still, it was too dense. It was too abstract, but I could see there's something mm-hmm. more in it. But like Plato's very easy to read. It's very straightforward. So Plato was a joy. Reading about Socrates, reading about all that it was very straightforward and nice. But uh, reading Nietzsche, very dense, but Nietzsche had something in him. I could feel this energy off the pages where I knew he was speaking about heroism. And every now and again, these ideas would flicker up. He'd talk about like Superman or Overman. He'd talk about Napoleon. And you could see that he was talking, like the only time he's ever nice to someone is when they're like a, like Napoleon, like a Superman, like Achilles, like a free spirit. Like he, that, that, right. he was giving positive energy towards that. The Ubermensch as well. And, and this was just more articulating something related to that feeling but it didn't lead to any big decisions I didn't understand that too much later in my life and basically I just dropped out of college and said this is junk I don't I don't like this and I dropped out because something clicked in my head quite late in college like I think it was you know two thirds of the way through mum was not happy with that mm. and um, I realised that it's like it's all theory and no practice like I want to get better at skills I want to develop capacity I, I want to transform me and this has actually been proven out by learning theory as I've come to learn it like you have different modus operandis for processing information you have declarative information which is stuff that you can talk about and procedural information which is stuff that you can do so this would be like me explaining to you how to fight versus me being actually able to fight I could probably explain mm-hmm. to you but my quality of fighting is down to how much I train not how much I explain and so I was realizing very early on that like if I want to improve and become better, I need to I need to develop skills. I need to become better at talking with people. I need to become a better singer. If I want to make better music, if I want to be a better musician, I need to go learn about music theory, or music training, and how to apply that stuff in the real world. Songwriting, 
poetry. I, I, I went, I dropped out of college and I went and found all these, these people who could train me in this stuff. I found certain types of mentors. And some people were teaching me to, to write, to sing, to speak, public speaking. Um, I went to fighting gyms, learned how to fight, tried to do weightlifting, never got a coach for that, which is kind of stupid. So I ended up fucking hurting myself a load. Mm. Um, and a lot of different things. But I went out and I was just looking, I was just had this attitude. It was very simple in my head. It was like, what procedures can I do? It was just very procedural. You know, like I just pushed most of the theory out of the way and I said, what procedures could I do? And then I would wor work on that. I would work on writing. I would work on writing. Like when I read through Jung, I cast out 80% of what Jung was saying because Jung's a bit of a jargonite and an awful lot of it is bunkers and right. crap and not really useful. And I was just scouring through it and I was like, procedures, Carol. Come on now, Carol, procedures. And he would talk about individuation. I was like, that's great. How? And then I would find stuff. He would for example, speak about dream reading. And he has this particular procedure on dream reading and I actually just did it. And I started to get into that. Nietzsche was the same thing. Nietzsche has a couple of procedures sprinkled around about how to write and stuff like that. So I just practiced those. And then I'd read them as well, but like it was not that intense at all. And um, yeah, from there, it's just set really good foundations. Like I was always doing stuff like working on various skills in various different ways and always have been. And still to this day, I'm still doing that for the majority of my time. And uh, I think maybe the reason why I talk about Nietzsche and Jung is that that stuff is sort of just the big ideas. I think that stuff really, as you, as you begin to see, once all those procedures are in place, it's almost like the ship is running really well. And then it becomes a question is like, all right, where are you directing the ship? Like, what's the goal here? Mm -hmm. And that's the big ideas. That's the, the horizon you're, you're chasing towards. And I think that's what I've also realized is maybe one of the most motivating and important things for people as well, which is quite important. But um yeah, it doesn't come first. So that, I, I think that's maybe as concise as I could keep it. Yeah, so let me uh, highlight a couple things in there and then add, add some more to the table. So you, uh, you mentioned the difference between propositions and procedures. And this is something John Verveke talks a lot about, how there's different types of knowing. And in modern society, we overprivilege the propositional mode of knowing where it's, it's words, basically. It's beliefs, it's statements. And then procedures are embodied actions in the physical world. And one thing that's kind of funny, so I, uh, I'm a productivity coach. And one of the things that I do with people, I would say like 80% of what I do is about emphasizing the body in how you talk to yourself. Because people's productivity issues come from using propositions in a way that's too heady, right? So they, they don't really know, they have a project that they want to do and they define it in a very loose way. And you have to define it in a way that becomes as close to physical as possible without it being actually physical. And then that makes you more likely to take action on it, to break it down. Um, but to, to kind of raise the stakes here, and this might relate to what you're saying about the big ideas. Someone listening to what you just said might get motivated to cultivate the hero spirit within themselves. Maybe they want to be more skilled. Maybe a young man is listening and they're like, yeah, I just want to develop more competence. But it's not just an individual's journey. And this is my take, but I believe that a lot of what we're facing right now in terms of global collapse or the meta crisis, which is a term that people in my circles like to use, like the crisis of crises, you have the ecological crisis, the financial crisis, the meaning crisis, put that all together. And you have this big crisis that it seems that all of civilization is facing. I believe that what you just articulated represents a big part of the potential answer. It's not just about individuals getting stronger for their own sake, but it's actually our best attempt at facing the challenges that are specific to our generation. 
And I think you said on a separate occasion, part of the reason why you really like Nietzsche is because you think he has the best explanation for what's going on right now. So I wonder if you can tell us what that explanation is and why do you believe it's the best? Hmm. This is an interesting one because I've been thinking about two things recently. Another side of things has been, I've been thinking about the old Catholic perspective on things because um, mm. I look at Tate, like I know Tate is, I'm not sure where it's, you know, where the audience's stance on Tate. I'm just coming here to talk about a story that he's been talking about because he's come out we recently. We talked about him and, in the last podcast, by the way. I'll just say this quick thing. We had someone who was a Lacanian who compared the similarities between Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson, which is a bit of a digression, but uh, just for context, continue. It, that's see that's I'd actually even love to go into that because that's a fascinating one as well we'll just talk about the boys you know the popular boys right now and Tate mm -hmm. is uh, exactly what I'm talking about when I describe this that he's a man who's very obsessed with procedures like I, I've been following him for years I'm, I saw him on Twitter he was on my channel back when like he had like fucking 2,000 subscribers and I had like 300 you know and um mm -hmm. He's a fighter, you know, and like all to be a successful fighter, you can't escape this style of thinking where you have to get procedural because if you're going to be good, you're going to have to train properly and training just crushes all theory and becomes all about practice and all this type of stuff. And so he's a man who's very procedural. He's very obsessed with like, you know, like even the way he talks like money, money, money. But why? What, what, what type of man does he become? He's a guy who's like, what's the next way to get money? He figures out procedures all the time in his life. Like they, with the webcam thing was despite the fact some people would say, you know, unethical, but you can't slight the fact that it was a very intelligent procedure. Like he saw an opportunity. Everybody's doing this only fans thing now the grift with the only fans but he was mm -hmm. long before everybody just saw the potential there to, to to make a lot of cash and he succeeded same with the hustlers university thing he's a very procedural man but you'll notice then with the way he talks he never tells he doesn't really talk about procedures that much like he's not a big procedure talker because he knows that the thing mm. that moves people's cores is the big stories and so what what does what is he always saying to you what is he saying to the young guys and what and what like think about how much this is hitting people i think this is a big thing you live in the matrix you know, he's stealing obviously the the, the the mythology from the Matrix, but he's he's reframing it in a fascinating way, a very smart way. It's like you live in the Matrix. And what does this mean? It's like society is constructed out of stories. And these stories are designed to control your mind. And you're like, oh, conspiratorial. But it's like, listen, your mind works with stories. I, mm -hmm. I think I've said this in a recent video. If I tell you that cholesterol clogs your arteries, you stop eating meat. And if that turns out to be even just a tiny bit off, you actually end up poisoning yourself and destroying yourself and damaging yourself. So that that tiny little nebulous story leads to unbelievably dramatic consequences through your choices. Stories drive decisions, decisions drive actions. They're a big deal. And so you can think of society in the way that it's constructed. It's full of these little stories, these little myths. You see this with the internet now. All these characters from all these different fields are trying to corrode against the mainstream narrative. I was just talking to someone and they're into nutrition and, and movement. And they're like, trying to red, red pill people on the wrong narratives about nutrition, trying to red pill people on the wrong mainstream narratives about movement. And then you go into the Bitcoin financial system and they're trying to red people, red pill people on the narratives about 
uh, usury and the, how the financial system works. It's, it's a scam, guys, like that type of thing. And it's like, you're getting exploited. You go over to me and I'm like, I'm red pilling you on the academic philosophy. It's like, it's a joke, it's junk, blah, 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 blah. You're, you're probably mm. doing the same thing, red pilling people on neuropsychology and productivity. And it's it's a breaking mainstream narratives. And what you start to see is that this mainstream narrative thing is this construction of a web of narratives that are programmed into you via social conditioning, which Nietzsche would call the herd morality, the morality of the herd, the unconscious low thinking of the herd. And then perhaps things like the education system, which is the propagation of state sanctioned narratives, which tend to be quite demoralizing and quite useless. And Tate comes in and he says that this system of personal social pressure, herd morality, the top-down education systems and pressures and the new, the mainstream media and the various institutions associated with this, like medicine, doctors, banks, financial systems, like everything, you know, the entire social structure, the matrix, as he was call it, are full up with narratives that are designed to disempower you and make you weak and make mm -hmm. you pathetic and make you not good enough. And it's like, what the fuck? I said, Jesus, Andrew, like, that's pretty intense. And he's like, but why, why don't you believe me? Because think about it logically. Think about it from a Nietzschean hierarchical perspective. Nature is brutal. Nature believes in exploitation. Nature believes in hierarchy. And we have this narrative that we tell ourselves that we live in this free, equal democracy. You know, we say to ourselves, we live in this free, equal democracy. It's like nature has never enjoyed freedom and liberty and equality. Nature doesn't work that way. Nature lets the best lion kill all the other lions, kill all the, the, the lion's children, and then take the position as the mm -hmm. champion. Nature puts every single human civilization that has ever existed into an inexcusable hierarchy. There was a caste system in India. There was a caste system in Europe with the Catholic Church and the royal aristocracy. Why wouldn't that be there now? Why wouldn't that at least start to form? And then you start to get to the very obvious and interesting and difficult question where it's like, all right, the way that this current society has been set up, maybe it was like more subtle and built on incentives, but nonetheless, people have begun to construct the narratives and the system in such a way that it is based off financial exploitation. It's a more subtle, interesting form of power. And this actually is very Nietzschean. Nietzsche says democracy against its own intentions will give rise to a group of people, a race of people who will be these timid, good, hardworking Europeans who will be easily exploited because of their naivety. And this will give, give rise to an ascendancy of tyrants that we have not seen before. That's in Beyond Good and Evil. You can go look that up 100 years ago. And this is sort of what Tate's saying. He's saying the same thing. He's saying, right, what's your situation right now? There's this matrix that is basically bullshitting you, making you unhealthy, making you have shit relationships, and making you sit there and pay taxes and pay all, all these, these inflation and work all your life to pay off these usury. You're born in debt. Who are you born in debt to? Like, mm -hmm. what? Why? who are you paying all this? And then these people who are uh, harvesting all this wealth, who are they? What's going on with that? Well, these are the people outside the matrix. And Tate turns around and says, I don't, I'm not after them. I'm not some revolutionary. I just want to be one of them. And I'm saying to you, there's a chance now between now and 2030 where maybe you could get up there alongside of us as well. But I'm not, I'm not here to tell you, I'm not here to do anything, but I'm saying it's real. It exists. There's a way out. All the things you are told, they are not told. They are told how to avoid tax. They're told to go and understand tax havens. They're told to understand all these type of things. They're told, they're given the best food. They're given the best health um, and all this type of stuff. And they're put in, in their elite schools and all this type of stuff. And I like, you know, it maybe goes a bit extreme in, in that regard, but it's very interesting to think about. And it's very interesting to think how much that resonated with people. So I think that story mm -hmm. is a big story. And that's really what I mean by 
that's a man who came along and he just drilled on that. He just constantly was saying that. And then, you know, it wrapped into his whole shtick about like to join Hustlers University to break free from the Matrix. But a lot of people felt that. Like I noticed now speaking to people, like I've met kids now who will be 14 and I, you know, be just talking shit, I'd be out with friends, we'd be outside a, a bar or something like that. And I meet a guy and he's like, you know, bringing his son on and he's like uh, 14 and I'm like, Jesus, bro, what's going on? And I start talking to the kid and the kid's like, like he thinks he lives in the Matrix. He's like, I don't trust mm. any of this stuff. Like he's he's waking up, um, and all these these super narratives are are getting corroded by this perspective and whatnot. And um, I, I can go into the Nietzsche thing now if you want, but I don't know if you have any comments on that. Yeah, well, one thing that's interesting is coming across your story and and the way you just uh, laid out Tate's story is that your key advantage was that you trusted your instincts and you had a sense of what your gut wanted. And I think nowhere is that more true than for a professional fighter like Andrew Tate. You, you need to have a good relationship with your instincts, especially when you're being tested in a kickboxing match. And so um, I'd love you to go more deeper into the Nietzsche stuff. But one thing, just speaking about procedures, I think there are a lot of people out there who will hear the importance of practice and they want to practice more. They want to learn skills and procedures, but they don't have that relationship with their gut. They don't have that relationship with their instincts. So they can't actually get themselves to do it. They don't have the motivation. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on how to oh, yeah. prompt that awareness or that awakening in people, but what, what would be the procedure for that? Fear, fear. Um, I have this uh, section on YouTube, you can check it out, um, Nietzsche on the meaning of freedom or something like this. And I do a section from Twilight of the Idols where Nietzsche um, starts to talk about his idea of, of liberty, his idea of freedom. Because obviously we have an awful lot of people nowadays who talk about, there's this f part of the modern world where you notice an awful lot of things are sterilized, washed down, watered down. So for example, like freedom, we all talk about how much we believe in individualism and freedom. But Nietzsche, like in his brilliance, turns around and basically says, listen, you fucking soft, soft fucks. Like you don't just become free. You're not just free. You don't get given rights. Like none of that stuff happens. Like that's nonsense. And people there chanting about individualism, freedom. It's like you, freedom is won. Freedom is fought for. Like, you know, you want mm -hmm. to be, and it's like these, these treasures like productivity. You know, it's like, like wh why do you, why do you deserve to be creative? Why don't you start fucking thinking about that? Like, why do you deserve to be free? It's like, it's an inalienable right or something like that. It's like, sure. But the people who got your freedom had to shoot a lot of British redcoats in order to achieve that. Same with the Irish. Mm -hmm. Same with the British themselves, you know? Like, the freedom is ascertained. It is, is fought for. Danger is what stimulates freedom. In fact, another very Nietzschean slash Tate idea is that right now with the kind of it seems like there's this superordinate global ascendancy of tyrants forming this one world government as you hear Alex Jones talking about and all that and it's like everybody's like oh I'm so scared and it's like well good you know now people are going to wake up and try to really become free in resistance to it and you see some of the most excellent innovative choices or innovative strategies to get free from something like this appearing like uh, the crypto movement is a brilliant example of this like could that have really happened if there wasn't this sort of danger of centralization just looming over everybody's head. I, I'm not sure. Like, would anybody be motivated to do it? And so um, when it comes to 
improving yourself in an, as an individual you have to look to these very basic emotions danger fear these are just unbelievably powerful stimulators unbelievably powerful mm. motivators you know I meet an awful lot of people who have motivation problems and it's usually just sterility in life in general you know it's like what, what, what's, mm. the, what's the big thing you're going for like my problem was I dropped out of college and I was sleeping on a mattress and I, I couldn't do anything else I was fucked. I was like, I had nothing else. I had one direction I could go, you know? And productivity was hard. I fucked up loads of times. And yeah, you have to learn. You do have to learn, like, the procedure of, you know, understanding that in the morning your mind is going to be sharper. You have to learn. You actually have to learn an awful lot about food, I think is one of the most important things for procedures. But more fundamental than that is that buzzing anxiety about, like, what are you doing? What what are you going for? Like, what's the aim here? Um, have you thrown away the ship so you can't go home? This type of thing. And mm -hmm. um, also then what is the nature of the tasks? Like a fighter, it, it's very hard to find a fighter who's not motivated. It's quite interesting going into a, a boxing gym. You go into a boxing gym and if you're lazy, someone's going to give you brain damage and all of a sudden your, right. your body just solves productivity problems. And like you'll go into boxing gyms. This is why young men are so fascinating because I'd see all these young dudes who have problems with productivity and it's like, it's I don't think they do. I just don't think they believe in what they're doing or they don't see the direct risk in what they're doing. So you get a young dude and you send him to a boxing gym. He would go there all day if you would let him because it's, he just gets so enthralled with it because it's so exciting because it's so intense. It's so ferocious. He's mm. just like, I where, where else would I go? I know that I'm going to step into a ring in two months like you sign him up for a fight and he's just like hand waving signing up for the fight he's going to be in the gym eight hours a day every single day and he's going to sleep like a fucking baby it's not going to be a problem and he'll just sit there and he'll wrestle and fight wrestle and fight wrestle and fight and you can obviously make him more sophisticated in his productivity strategies and routines but that general baseline is there he's driven because he's afraid of getting humiliated and getting fucking beat up man and that's those two things and I think fundamentally connecting with those emotions is a big deal it's a big part of my shtick as well but I, I think that comes before everything I often say to guys, like some guys come into me and they work like in various programs I do. And I sometimes get good. I just got a, a dude recently who joined and he's he's a 27 year old dude. And he's, um, yeah, he's like having sort of issues with some of this stuff. And I sit him down. And I'm like, well, you know, what are some five, what are five fears? What are five experiences that would fill you with fear to do? Mm. And these usually archetypally show up as, oh, I, I would be afraid to uh, get in a fight. I would be afraid to... Uh, tell someone I know what I really think. I'd be afraid to talk to a beautiful girl. I'd be afraid to um, tell the truth in a certain context. I'd be afraid to be myself. These very simple things. I mean, it's like, all right, well, how about you brush everything away and just build your life around those? I'd be afraid of dropping out of my job and going for something crazy that I wanted to do. And I'm not necessarily saying this would lead to prudent decision-making, but it will connect you with mm -hmm. your spirit, with your soul which will provide you with motivation and maybe you'd fuck up a couple of times and you, know, you, you quit a perfectly fine job. But weirdly, it would give you something in the long term that would be invaluable and change everything, which is be an intrinsic connection to your soul so that you have a more naturalistic motivation. Yeah, and you just have a more vital life by default, which is what I think people are after. It's interesting. A, a key thing in that is skin in the game. And much of modern life doesn't really give you real skin in the game or it makes you multiple degrees removed. So think of an actual fight, your body, like your literal skin is in the game, right? You could, you could die, you could potentially die. And so that aligns very deeply with your nervous system and your evolutionarily built motivational schema. But most people aren't fighters and a lot of people don't have anything that resembles that. 
So the type of courage that's required in most people's lives is not going to be the same kind that comes with fighting in, in a fighting match. I was talking to Jordan Hall about the two types of courage and how a type one courage is like the boxer or like a Viking warrior who has to defend his village. And so there's, a, there's an event, it's, it's episodic. There's a big event, it's crude. It's like a very coarse grain type of courage. It's like you're just jumping into battle. And it's a, it's a very significant experience physiologically. And most people don't actually have opportunities to practice type one courage in modern life. Like you, you basically named all like the key areas, right? Like for a lot of guys, it's, it's talking to girls or for people it's interpersonal stuff. But even that, it's not that big of a deal. And then we talked about this thing, type two courage, which is opposite in all those dimensions. So it's not episodic, it's continuous. It's like from the moment you wake up, you need to behave in a way that is vigilant in, in a vaguely courageous way. Um, it's very fine-grained, right? So it requires quite a lot of sensitivity. It's like you're making these micro decisions throughout your day on how to use your attention, how to use your time, um, whether or not to give into your bad habits or your distractions. And there's no big like celebration, you know, it's not like you're going to war. So it's very difficult for people to cultivate both, I would say, but especially these days, we don't actually have the occasions or the environment, at least most of us to, to even develop a relationship with courage. I see, I kind of categorize that in my head as like courage and discipline. I, I try to separate them as separate because mm. courage for me is very specific it's tied fundamentally to risk and most importantly it's tied to that flash that nervous system like if you're not getting your your adrenaline an adrenaline dump dump i don't think you're really engaging with courage in the right way so for example like people do sometimes say it's like well how can i engage in fighting and i like to be sort of a little bit blackpilling and brutal it's like well the pe the slaves of the past were the people who couldn't engage in fighting the slaves of the past mm. were the people who failed. So maybe you should just accept that if you're not brave enough to find the fight, it's probably a situation where you're you're bowing. You know, you're sort of saying to yourself, I actually don't want it enough. Because like warriors, you know, Vikings hopped on ships and sailed to England to find fights. They were they were down. They were looking for this stuff. It's not it's not hard to find this stuff if you want it. Um and you'll see this actually in all, like Nietzsche would call it the master morality. You'd see it in all these uh, aristocrats and, and higher natured uh, characters. And um, he would even say that like these type of characters can't really become enslaved because they'd rather kill themselves than become enslaved. The Romans noticed this about the Germans. So the Germans were weirdos. Like they, they, the Romans would try to go into Germania, the forests, and they would find that the, the Germans would never, like, you know, the German men would hang around in their big huts. They would send other people to do all the work they'd get the women to do all the work and they just laze around and they'd only really get riled up to fight or hunt that's all they'd waste their time on they mm. were just they, they were just warriors pure warriors free men in the just purest most brutal sense same with the Mongols it's the same same thing the Mongols never really got so caught up with anything except for you know hanging out in the yurt and then they'd hop up on the horse and then go and fucking shoot someone and then come back and chill and this this is the type of way that they lived and that's freedom in its essence is that you don't really do anything unless it comes to it's a big thing it's it's a fight it's a war it's a big deal same with the vikings same with the uh, like the, you look at the aristocrats over england ireland uh, france they were all these norman vikings who were just fighting each other just conducting these massive wars and 
as I said, the Romans noticed then about the Germans, the German women would kill themselves and their children instead of being taken captive, instead of, you know, being taken and raped and then turned into a Roman slave. You just couldn't really enslave the Germans. Like it was, they were just like, it was d difficult, you know, and then you'd even bring them down mm. and they'd be like all mercenary, like Armilius and stuff like this. And so there's this sort of instinct inside of you where it's like, you just, you're going for the jugular or you're, it's like a lion, you know, you're sleeping 22 hours a day and then you're attacking something. And it's like, that's the type of binary that you're working for. And I think that really ties into my experience with something like courage is that your 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 life is you're either going to seek it or you're just going to have a life that is not really going to be filled with that life force. And I don't think you just, you know, I wouldn't turn around and say to someone, you've got to be courageous every single day. I think you can do that for a period mm. where you go maybe talk to a girl or tell the truth is a really big one because that will take you very dangerous places very fucking fast. Or you can go and do something like fighting. But um. I think you, you'll have these sort of days of discipline where you'll sort of sink into this era, like this part of your life where you're just not really going to be courageous. And I think you need to be realistic with yourself and it's just about going through the motions and things like routines and expectation and no risk and, you know, procedure and all this type of stuff, showing up to the gym. And you can think about the way you build your life that way is that, you know, say if you're a fighter, maybe every three to six months, you're going to have this big moment that's going to require real courage. And then most of the rest of your life mm -hmm. is just going to be routines and procedures. And it's building up for that big moment, preparing yourself for the big moment. And I think that can be a very um, useful way to balance everything out. Like, I, I, I don't want to be pedantic and say that, you know, the, the model that you're using is wrong or something like this. But it's just the way I, I would model it in my head is that you'd have discipline and routines that sort of is like the processes that run things. And you must sink into those. And this can be actually very health giving. And then they'll call it very feminine, very yin, and it's good, like it's useful, it's, gr it's growth, it's education. But then it'll come to a point where, all right, you're, you gotta, you know, you gotta go put your best foot forward and understand real risk and jump in the deep end and go for that. And you have to say to yourself, like categorize these specific experiences and deify them as courage. Like, you know, even for a young dude, like talking to a girl takes balls. Go for it. Mm -hmm. Figure out what that means. Tell them the truth. In the era of censorship, tell them the truth is fucking hard. And there's hundreds of online creators, thousands at this point, who've gone up there and hard said stuff that people are uncomfortable talking about. And very slowly, they've all got banned. They've all got wiped out. They've lost their... They've put all this emotional effort into building something and risked everything they had. And slowly, the collective consciousness is starting to shift. And very slowly, these people are starting to get heard, at least their ideas, even though they get fucked up. And this this type of stuff is like it takes balls to do these type of things. You know that that that's courage. That's pure <laughs> red blooded courage. Yeah, something that comes to mind here is the importance of not doing this alone, which um, I think is implied in a lot of conversations. And I don't know if you're implying this, but I've become uh, gang pilled, which basically means <laughs> every guy needs a gang. You know, you need you need three to six people in your life that. Um, you have like a, a brotherhood with, you know, all great things in the past were done by groups of people who could coordinate. And there's something about masculine relationships where you have a project or you have something that you're aimed at that makes all of this a lot easier. So I wonder, do you have a gang? Do you, do you, are you gang filled? Do you think about the importance of uh, brotherhood when it comes to living a life like this? Yeah, I, I think that's a big deal. And I, I try to keep this again very procedure orientated because I think men focused on ascertaining something are very it's very easy for dudes to make friends so like you know in my real life in my real life I guess like the internet's basically mm -hmm. wrapped up in my real life but I go down to a gym and I train the box with people 
and you know that's you just connect very deeply with people doing that so I go down and you know I'm the one arm wonder at the moment because I've got a broken arm and so it's like very you know I'm going there and the boys are like oh was he going to try hit me with his jab now and all this type of stuff and so you're just learning you're learning to do it this way and you're working with these guys and at some point I'm going to like you know go for a fight again and get in the ring and it'll be very interesting to see how I come back from this will I be able to do it in another six months maybe it'll take another year I'm not too sure so this is this is me going through that that phase and I'm doing it with these dudes and they're my training buddies and you develop a deep bond with them because you're, you're punching each other the whole time and then there's um, mm. you know there's like there's other people in the gym there's like trainers there's people who are just weightlifting all this and I chat with them and I get get on with them but they're more like acquaintances you just don't get as close with those guys you don't bond with them as much because you're not actually like doing something together unless you start spotting each other and weightlifting together and in that case you'll actually start to form really good, good strong friendships and then, you know, here on the internet, I'll sit down, I'll be, there'll be guys I'm working with on editing. There's guys I'm working with on, on producing like nice animations to start off my videos. And we're talking about art and the uh, art and creating stuff. And it's, it's like, we're trying to build stuff. You know, we're tr- sort of saying to ourselves, how do we create new culture? How do we create stuff that's interesting? How do we create stuff that ha- that's high quality? And we all work together. And then like, obviously we, like, you know, we make money together. So like, I'm paying these guys out to do this stuff. So we're working together as a team to build something nice. And that's enjoyable. And that's maybe a, a separate little brotherhood that we've got going. And then sometimes like I'd look around at people who maybe like there's like online groups, like I've joined a couple of those. I try to my best to bring those down into in real life things, which I can then do procedures with or work mm-hmm. with people online uh, about stuff, because I find that's the most effective way to do things together is to just build things together and then working with that type of stuff. And um, yeah, like it's it's setting up bro- brotherhoods is essential and really, really powerful. Um, and I think it just the most important thing is to try get it as procedure focused as you possibly can. Of course, there's there's something very powerful in sharing values, but um, like I think I think if you have procedures, it it turns into something very powerful and motivated because you've got this goal you're trying to achieve and you're moving forward towards this. I, I think the antagonist to this would be like maybe the 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 kind of the brotherhood which turns out to be like a lot of dudes who sit down and watch sport and drink beers every weekend and it's like I don't mean to you know right, demoralize right. that because that simply is just some 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 guy's culture like that's them relaxing but it's um maybe a bit antagonistic when you're a young guy like when you're a young guy it'd be better to form a couple of these key brotherhoods either your gym buddies that you train with or the guys that you build something online with or you build your presence with or maybe the guys like you know I've, I've met guys that we go out and we talk to girls together you know and it's sort of like mm-hmm. you know it's actually you really bond deeply with them because you know you're just, you, 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 that's like constant risk and it takes fucking balls and everybody knows how intense it is so when you see someone just like wrestle with their head and be like she's so fucking hot I'm so fucking nervous alright fucking and you run up and he does it you know you see that and then you're like that one time and then you're going in and you're saving them and you're going like you know it, this type of stuff is very powerful and very important and very useful and I think um, the more you can get that clear thinking of like alright what are we doing together and what type of goal and how are we increasing our capacity for will to power with these behaviours Fr- male friendships become incredibly powerful incredibly fertile incredibly motivating and intimidating for the uh, for the matrix as, mm-hmm. as Andrew Tate would say as well yeah, so um, have projects and procedures that that you all share. This this reminds me of Aristotle. He talked about three different types of friendships. There's friendships of utility, um, which is yeah. you know, you've got, you're working on projects together. It's friendships of pleasure, which maybe it's like those guys who watch sports and hang out and drink beer. And then there's friendships of virtue, where you participate in the cultivation of virtue. And I think that's like the highest form of friendship. Um, one very practical thing that I that I've mentioned before is the importance of 
committing to telling the truth, just making it explicit amongst your friends. And if you just say like, it's implicit, right? Like no one, no one's planning on lying to each other, or at least in their friendships. I don't think that's how people think about their friendships. But if you tell your friends that I'm going to tell you the truth from now on, like 100% of the time, and if I don't, that's a failure on my part. And then they do the same, then those friendships will dramatically transform. This is true. Yeah, it's true. That's see, that's a good one. See, again, even because I'm just like kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm just like in touch with my feelings. But even thinking about that, I'm just I can feel the punch in the stomach because I know there'd be, uh, there'd be mm. that moment where maybe you'd, you'd want to say something's annoying or maybe there's something they're doing that you think they're wrong about. And there's part of you that's sort of like, you know, is there really any need to get into a conflict about this right now? It might even be offensive the way I bring it up, but you're then in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, fuck, I just, I should just tell them. I should just say the truth. Like, it's just difficult. It's tough. Did it's going to be a fight. Did come to mind? Um, not really. I just know the feeling, you know, because you'd be walking around with, with, a, with a, some some lads or something like this. And I, like very often, you know, you're just, you're just like, it's, sometimes you just don't even have the energy to just like start up in a, a big tirade about like what, what this little specific thing. And so you kind of let things slide, but then you're, you know, you feel it and your gut, you're sort of like, that was a moment, that was a hiccup of, of uh, mm-hmm. adrenaline that you could have launched on top of and said, wait a second. I, I'm going to impose some standards here. I'm going to suggest something here. I'm going to, I see something here that I want to comment on. And it's like, yeah, I know, I know the vibe. So it's a good call. I think it's a very, very good call. So some, something funny. Uh, so me and my friends, we've kind of normalized this now. And this year for my birthday, I asked all of them to make a Google doc with all my flaws and my blind spots. Oh, so like my God. I gave them permission, right. To, to say the truths. And then we did this whole like intervention thing. And then uh, it was so successful and intense that now everybody, now we're doing it for everyone's birthday. And so we just did it to this guy on Friday. And it was like this two hour conversation (laughs) where we like systematically went through everything that we saw, right? Because your, your friends see you better than you do. You can walk around your whole life for decades with blind spots that are obvious to other people. Like people might even notice them within 10 minutes of meeting you, but we don't have norms that invite people to share those things so ritualizing it and doing it every year for your birthday i think is a good solution to that that's actually such an interesting idea like that's a really really big idea because that's hardcore like you know you talk about shadow work like boom there you Mm. go there's a great example because you're absolutely right like i'd even think about in terms of boxing like when i broke the arm i was like all right well i'll spend a while getting better with my left hand so i went and i like practiced a bit and did all this type of stuff and then eventually I went back to sparring and of course my my three months off I had practiced a load of stuff that made sense in my head I was like oh that, that will work in theory and just get fucking slapped in the face you know and mm. you just you know it, the, the actual tangible experience shows you how delusional you are like sparring is like the laboratory and you in your head like it's so f- and I just it was again another example of this style of thinking in my head I I think I'm a superhero. Like, I think I've figured it out. It's like, well, that, of course that's going to work. I'll just punch him right in the face. Like, you know, that's that's just very straightforward. I'll just use my left hand and just smack him in the face. And then you try to do it and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work because in your head it's so simple, but in reality it's not. And you just can't see that stuff until you get, until you get the blunt force of reality to hit you. And so, of course, it's very hard to do in your head. You could use video maybe in boxing or get an outside perspective as a fantastic one or a coach. And then in this instance with your friends, this is just brutal because they'll see stuff. They'll see like maybe when you're dirty or you're not clean or your hair looks silly or the way that you talk or like slowness to make decisions and like 
all these things that you probably even know they're there, but you just don't want to confront them. <laughs> like, you know, you just push them mm-hmm. deep down and you're like, oh, they'll, they'll get solved eventually. You said 10 years ago. And then it's like, oh, man. So that's that's a great idea. That's a really, really interesting idea. What sort of things do you practice in you know, addition to like training and, and boxing and stuff on a regular basis? What's my life look like? I guess I wake up in the morning. I try to have a load of water, some salt and ZMA. Then I go for a big long walk in the sun and then I do some training of some sort. Um, so I don't know, sun walks, is that, is that a practice? Um, I don't do anything sort of mental. I don't do any like meditation or anything like that. Um, I, I do like mm-hmm. absolutely think that that, uh, imp- I remember doing it before and it really does help uh, calm the mind down and all that type of stuff, but it's just not really me. Um, because I find that I'm like, I love sitting down and being creative. I try my best to keep the phone out of my face in the morning. That's like one big win. Go down and I uh, yeah train, then I come back, eat, big fat steak I'd say usually and then start getting into basically making stuff on the internet um, I'd uh, try like you know the other things I'd practice would be more just related to the stuff that I like to do so I'd sit down and I'd write stories I'd play around with like visuals I'd play around with like audio mm. um, I'd think about big narratives that I could maybe rant and explain in this type of format um, I'd make music like I've kind of tinkering with my music and stuff like this and it's more just sort of artistic like that's what calms my mind down like that's my meditation just getting into the aesthetics of sounds and the, maybe the aesthetics of visuals and the aesthetics of a story and playing around with that stuff and then trying to wrap that up then obviously with more admin job things that you have to do like for example working with clients that you're working with and just making sure that you're attentive to them and then uh, thinking about logistics for stuff like that and like setting up workflows and like you know the run of the mill productivity stuff and then usually after that I bounce out of that and I'm either going to be doing something social where like I'll be talking to a lady or going out for dinner or something like that it is a joy to, to talk to girls because they're just so different so that is something that like I don't know is that like something mm-hmm. I do I practice but I, I do like doing that and uh, then talking to uh, hanging out for people with dinner and stuff like this so maybe being social but that's like not really a practice and then if I'm not doing either of those I'll sit down and I'll just draw pictures like I'll try relax myself by writing journaling drawing that type of stuff so I guess the pen would be my only other exceptional one and um I can't think of much else you know sometimes I'd smoke cigarettes that would be probably the other voice that would be in there <laughs> a practice and I do I, it's crazy man but like I noticed with those that you some get some of your best thoughts after a cigarette man it's something else so I don't know what that's supposed to mean yeah I, I recently introduced uh, nicotine gum as like a productivity yeah. aid because it increases neuroplasticity and can give you a boost but if you take too much then you just want to lie down yeah the, the reason why I ask is because practice is like a big theme for me and it's something I've talked a lot about on this podcast but it's it's the process by which we we transform ourselves in kind of like a ritualistic way and something that you're referring to is this thing of staying in contact with reality you know wh- whether it's a confrontation with truthful friends or a fight or you, know, you get rejected by a beautiful woman because you're just not good enough um I'm very interested in finding ways to make that just a normal part of people's lives. And it's not just some something that happens a couple times a year, but it's it's just how you live. Because as you said as well, that also is a pathway to to integrate um, your your emotions, your instincts, your fears. But the thing you said in there that I, I want to pick up on is this idea of creativity and art. I think you at least partially see yourself as an artist. So I'm sure you've thought a lot about where art comes from and what truly vital impactful art is and the thought that popped into my head was 
Nietzsche's whole take about how life is really justified uh, as an aesthetic phenomenon. Like the answer to the meaning crisis is, is art, you know, and live life as if your whole life is a work of art. So how do you think about that? Uh, well, actually, I'd relate it to, I think this might be a little bit of a misunderstanding of Nietzsche, first of all, but I'll relate it to something like as pragmatic as I possibly could do. Because again, like when, when I'm living some of the most productive eras of my life, I'm maybe actually a little bit further away from that discipline stuff. Like that might be my standard routine, but I can also switch on and I have to fight with myself to do this. I can switch on this other mode inside my mind. That's like a meta mode. So I'd be, you know, going on that sun walk. And when you're doing that walk, there's probably three things that are not routine. It's not discipline, but you maybe you might see one beautiful girl or something like this. And, you know, the back of your mind would be like, talk to that girl. She, she's pretty, like talk to her, say hello or something like this. And most of the days you have the very typical thing where you rationalize or you're in your head already ra thinking about something and you notice her and then you, you ignore it. And if I'm really pushing myself, like I'm just trying to work the, 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 the membrane of fear, I will be sort of pushing myself to just act as impulsively as I can on those things. And I can't really be coded in because you can never mm. plan for it. So you just sort of, I have to mm. like, it's like a spirit of, of impulse has to be ex exant within me. And then that generalizes then, like if you're going to do that in a more general way, maybe like, you know, you're married, so you don't want to be hassling young women as they're walking down the beachfront or something like this. Um, instead, it can be something like, you know, conflict. So like conflicts will emerge quite continuously in your life. So it's sort of like that more um, gentle or vigilant fear that you're speaking about. And uh, people will say something and you're just like on it, like a bullet, like I disagree or that's not right or this is the this is the way I think you should do this or watch out for this type of stuff. So like that type of thing or telling the truth in some sense, like when you're talking, noticing when you're bullshitting and trying to be more exact. And this is a powerful mode you can switch on that I think has this great, great vitalistic power because it's almost like you get this infinite supply of coffee because throughout your life then there's all these mm. anxiety driving moments. There's, there'll usually be one to three of them a day I notice. And you go and do those and you get this instant stimulus back, you know, and some of the most incredibly developmental periods of my life had just been that simple principle enacted. Like I'm going to face every single moment of conflict, fear, intensity I can today. And I would usually fuck up 80% of them, but the 20% I do would just be like transformative. You go home feeling like a man, even if you're completely fucked up, you know, it's really powerful. Um, and this kind of ties into something, what happens is you feel all this energy as a consequence. And this ties into something I noticed an awful lot with, um, with Nietzsche is that he's, he's very jarring in the way that he articulates what you need to do. Because a lot, an awful lot of us as like intellectuals and artists, we want to believe that it's about the pretty ideas or mm. talking about abstract questions and all this type of stuff but he's just he's just brutal he's like it's just not really about that you know aesthetics don't come from pussies this is sort of what he's i guess he's saying and um, it's it, like you can't like he, he says he says this I'll, I'll give the more intellectual approach but he says if you want to make a great culture you have to start in the right place this is in twilight of the idols and it, it can't just be you trying to big yourself up and talk about how profound your soul is and saying how much you love beauty and aesthetics and all like it, or how much you love truth and all like it, none of that counts. What it needs to be is it needs to be the body. The body must be persuaded. You must be sitting down mm -hmm. and working with what you are and creating within yourself this like chthonic vital force, this Dionysian monster of energy that it's you're almost exploding with creativity. Like that's the true approach. And out of that will come 
a vitalistic masculine aesthetics that will be the vitalizing art that will justify things. When you listen to like Beethoven and you listen to that, it's so sophisticated. It's so, so intelligent. Like there's an apex of human achievement there. Apollyon neocortex has produced something that we will probably never see again in that. But also it's incredibly muscular. It's incredibly aggressive. Mm -hmm. Like this is the energy of the people who conquered the world, the colon, the, the Europeans at their point of like colonialist, colonialist chauvinism, you know, where they were like, we we're righteous to bring Christianity to the entire world. The world needs to be saved by us. And there's this sort of aggressive belief, self-belief inside of them. And of course, this is because these characters like the Beethoven Germans, these were the same people who had just burst out of the forest of Germany and were still full of vital energy. You know, and so they still had this like Faustian spirit, as as the likes of Jung would always talk about. They still had this uh, chaos inside of them, as Nietzsche would say. You need to have a chaos inside yourself to give birth to a dancing star. So when Beethoven is out there making music, even though he's incredibly intellectually developed, standing on top of an incredibly profound, sophisticated tradition, which allows him to create this height of incredibly powerful beauty, it's driven by. Uh, a, a furious energy inside of himself like he is fundamentally life force screaming out of himself and when you listen to it you feel it like Beethoven's just heavy it's hardcore it's heavy metal like it's got energy to it and it's so interesting then if you listen to like classical music nowadays especially people who are trying to replicate that type of style mm -hmm. it just isn't there because the vital force is not the same it's, it's like nostalgia it's like something, It's you're romanticizing something from the past. Whereas for him, you know, he lived in the era of Napoleon and cannons. Like that's not the same as with the era we live in now. Whereas if you listen now to like hip hop or you listen now to techno, it's uglier music. It's, it's not as Apollonian, it's not sophisticated, but it's got that energy because it's sort of in that nascent phase right now. And so culture is, and, and beauty and sophistication is a very, very hard thing to get right. And I see this an awful lot where an awful lot of people are like pining that we want to go back to traditional architecture and stuff like this. But it's like, I, I just return. don't know if it, the return, exactly. And I just don't know if that can be done. It, like if, if they, they would call this in the art world a pastiche, you know? Like if we went back to building mm -hmm. old architecture, <laughs> I'm sure it'd be gorgeous, but it would kind of feel not what we are. Like we're not 16th century Christians anymore. Like we've been through the 20th century. We've been through modernism. You know, Fenn de Villers is a fantastic person to check out on this. And mm -hmm. he talks about how you look at modernist architecture. It was way different. And they had all these like Promethean statues. I'd love to be able to show you. And um, maybe we could screen share, but they, they use lighting, they use electricity. They, the Empire State's building was made of it. Art Deco is a good example of this. And Art it's bombast. It's bombastic, it's energized, it's, but it looks modern. It looks like something new. It looks like something with a spirit. And this is because these people in this era still had inside of them a bit of vital energy that was married to their age and their industrial revolution. And so it's maybe more crude than a, a Christian cathedral, but it's, it's real. It's got the energy inside of it. And it, it's actually pointing to a path of beauty that could have been realized, but instead we be, all became postmodernists and just completely fucked that up altogether. Um, so I'm not sure, like, I'm not sure in any way does that answer your question, but I think um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just an important thing that Nietzsche talks about. You, you need to have vibes, man, is basically to, to break it down. Yeah, I, I'm actually uh, hoping to speak with Fenn in a couple of weeks and, uh, 
just uh, on a very practical note, one thing I've noticed, so I, I, I compose music and sometimes I'll, uh, I'll do like push-ups right before I go to the piano. I'll do like push-ups <laughs> till failure. And then I'll sit at the piano and then what comes out is like, is completely different than what normally comes out. And I recently heard this guy on, on Twitter, you, you might know him, um, Brute de Force. He's like a Olympic level, yeah. uh, or he does Olympic lifts. He's like 99th percentile Olympic lifts. And he, he said this really funny thing, which totally connects with this, where he said he would take sales calls in between his sets. So he'd be like <laughs> huffing and puffing after like doing like a clean and jerk. And then he'd call someone and close a deal. And he thought that was like a competitive edge because his body would be coursing with this, uh, this vital energy that the other person could feel. And I know that's like a much smaller kind of, um, you know, it's simpler than what you are saying, but it gives people a bit of a taste for what this is. Beauty yeah, yeah. and aesthetics and yeah. creating art is not about repeating beautiful patterns from the past. It's something that's very present and requires authenticity and faith in your in your current culture. So if we're just creating neoclassical architecture again, then there's almost like a faithlessness in the present. Yep. I, I see this a lot. Like it's a big, um, obviously the big trend in the culture from the last seven to 10 years has been most of us moving away from liberalism because we were caught up in the the naive liberalism of our day, um, which is, you know, like it's it's full of beautiful ideas. And I think, you know, it's the, the very classic meme of like, if you're, if you're not a liberal when you're young, you're, you've no heart. If you're not a, you know, maybe something else when you're older, you've no brain. But, um, we sort of transitioned away from that and an awful lot of people became what you might describe as right wing. Like these political categories are not great, but they were essentially uh, dissidents to the culture, cultural dissidents, mm -hmm. reactionaries, like everybody from Donald Trump to 4chan to Jordan Peterson would all be broadly categorized by these, you know. And what really started to form out of that was a fascinating um, sh a spin on all the energies because you had some people in there who were traditionalists. And I completely get the traditionalists, you know, these are the people who are looking at the modern world and being like, we fucked up, so, we fucked up. Like, look, look around. It's like Par Notre Dame's burning, Paris is a shithole. Like, you know, this is, this is dumb. Like we're done. Like this just didn't work. It's, it's, we fucked up. Like we have to go back. We have to go back. We must return. And th this is the reaction. It's a reactionary instinct. This is how um, the people in the political game would categorize this stuff. You're a reactionary. They say that like an insult, which is fascinating. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm reacting to something bad. It's like, that's bad or whatever. They're, they're reactionaries. But you also see it because it's it's a little bit like petulant. A little bit, okay? Now, I, I, I believe an awful lot of it's authentic, so I don't like to be too crude about it. But it's like, I don't like what's here, so I want to just go back to something that I understand, you know? And makes perfect sense. It's like if you're a fighter and you try this new style and it doesn't work, it's like go back to the old style, like shut the fight, like Conor McGregor now, you know, he used to be this class flowy movement guy and then he got all this stiff boxer and he keeps on getting beaten up. And so it's like, Conor, just go back to what you were and this type of thing. But there's also something a little bit off about it because it's like you're trying to escape, you're, you're reacting, you're being bluntly reactionary. You're not standing on first principles. And so um, I see this spirit nascent that is like a an alternate it's almost like a counter progressivism it stands on its own two feet it's it's it sees the future it's futuristic this is this would be called Nietzschean futurism or vitalism and maybe like would be a loose category for what an awful lot of this stuff is talking about but it's also older than many of the the liberal conceptions like it's it's you know as old as Nietzsche at least 
and it's about going in a direction that's braving the future that's leaping for the future mm. whereas the traditionalists the reactionaries the the return guys they crave beauty and they crave the big ideas and they're they're conservative and they they're traditional and they want to go back to christianity and they just want to go back to things that they understand but it's like it's it's like running to safety you know maybe that's not even the right way to say it it's it's they just want things to calm down they just don't want things to change and that's like it's very close to i don't want things to adapt and you do need mm. to have that revolutionary creative spirit have a good outlet in people and that's what i think i see being born and going in a different direction having that sort of more like assertiveness of being like let's go attack the future let's go do something let's go do fucking push-ups let's go do an Olymp olympic lift set between our uh, sales calls like let's go and attack let's go on the offensive let's go get something done and build something and create something new like i'm not i'm not mad about what well, right maybe i'm a bit mad about the current society but i'm i'm not saying i want to return i'm saying i want to take all these trends that led to the modern world and say how could we actually economize them towards creating something that's vital and energetic and has the potential of manifesting something new and something beautiful how could we create a culture that discovers the platonic forms of beauty with its new identity and its new personality you know and it's like give birth to something new i think is the the real thinking behind that so i don't know can i pull that to any uh any sense but that's just some of my thoughts on that yeah well we're just crossing the hour mark so um maybe as a closing question for you what are some of your clues of this more vital beautiful future that you see yourself participating in um i've i've many things i guess like in and of itself people awakening from what you might call as the slumber of liberalism is quite important again that's very mm. politically loaded so apologies for the the simple terms but i guess the way i'd phrase it is again coming back to nietzsche like as you said at the start nietzsche is describing the modern world how is he doing that well he comes up with his prophecy of the last man and he says that the trends this is a trend analysis so the it's like the gods you know the trends that are leading us to our current situation you have the booming industrial revolution you have all this abundant food you see nature's pressure being taken out of things so we no longer have evolutionary pressure to develop and this means it's like a, a, a body going up into space no gravity means that our bones get weaker and we become frail and decrepit and what you see happening to modern man is the transformation of mankind into cattle as nietzsche says man becomes weaker his testosterone is going down this is a very famous thing his um conceptions of himself you the western man especially develops this self-doubt and self-hate this uh desire to you know pathological tolerance as they call it he de develops this sterility in his creativity he can't create anything anymore he can only be ironic he can only be pathetic he can only be self-depreciating he can't proudly stand for what he is and express chauvinistically culture that he believes in himself that's that's what like you know all the great culture from the traditionalist era came from that came from them these people believing in themselves believing that they were the chosen ones of god and whatnot and um, last man won't have any of this stuff the last man will be petty he'll be obsessed about his happiness he'll be a consumer he'll go on amazon he'll watch netflix he will eat the bugs he will eat the 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 plant burgers this type of stuff his uh, beliefs will be arrogant he'll have the beliefs of his entitlements everybody is uh equal uh, just because they exist because i matter only just because i exist i matter i should be allowed to eat mm. as much i should be allowed to put as many animals through the slaughterhouse system as i want because i exist and i sit on my couch and i'm a fat fuck and i deserve it 
because I exist, because I am got inalienable rights to, to eat that poor pig that was shock tortured by some poor depressed psychopath who's on some opiates because I won't take care of my country. This is the spirits within the modern world. And it's very ugly. It's very low. And this is tied to this sort of liberal Reddit conception of life. Again, even Nietzsche would say true liberalism is just not like look like this at all. You know, like this is this is this arrogant, self-entitled liberalism of the last man. And all of us kind of grew up in this. Like we all grew up in this slumber. Like my dad thinks this way. My whole family thinks this way. I thought this way. You know, I was I would mm -hmm. listen to like the likes of Russell Brand used to think this way until about five years ago. Like you listen to Russell Brand now and it's just shocking how much different his conception of life is right now compared to where he was when I used to listen right. to him. And uh, he uh, like we all sort of woke up collectively to being like, what the fuck? Like there's all of these trends just all of a sudden started to bear fruit like immediately. Yeah, we started to see the, the the psychosis. Jordan Peterson stands up and says, "Like, watch out for victim psychosis and group mentality, because those two those two things are fucked up." And you're like, "Ah, come on now, Jordan." He's like, "Do you ever wonder what happened in communism?" And then you start to see many of those instincts manifest, and these people start to reach for power as the preachers of equality, calling for vengeance. And you start to see all this stuff. And then you see these characters come out and say, yeah, we're going to make everybody eat the bugs and all this type of stuff. And then you look at the art and you start to realise that the art is toxic and demoralising. And you start to look at the education system more critically and you start to be like, holy fuck, this whole thing is set up to demoralise me, to say that I'm ugly, to say that I'm pathetic. It's it's slave-worthy. It's, it's, it's brainwashing me. Like, I went through college and one of the first books that was introduced to me was the Communist Manifesto. And I was given critical theory that was designed to critique the Western canon. Nobody ever sat me down and made me read the Western canon. That's what I had to do by myself. You know, I was sat down and I was showed feminist literature that was explaining to me that being a man is dangerous and the West is phallogocentric, logos and phallus centric. Hmm. I was never explained why it was that way, why that was like uh, healthy, why that was vital. Instead, I was just given the reactionary position to this. Very fascinating stuff. And so one immensely powerful and motivating and white-pilling and beautiful trend is there is the, it's basically like a counterculture, but it's got more force than anything I've ever seen has woken up to this. Like a lot of people are like, no. Mm. You know, Tate is a perfect example. You know, one of the biggest people in the world was Trump. He was a big deal. Andrew Tate now is basically bigger or as big as Trump was. And he's representing a very dissident approach. And he's the entire male youth was like, yes. They were like, I am on board with this. You know, and does he, does he believe everything I believe? No. Is he very artistic? Not really. Like he doesn't have that in him, you know, that's not his sort of style. So will he lead to a cultural renaissance? I'm not sure. But the point is, is that his worldview really snapped a lot of people out. It's, it's showing that people are have an appetite for a different perspective, you know. And um, that's incredibly motivating and white-pilling. That's incredibly, like that's, that like this is, it's almost like you're sitting in the middle of not punk rock, maybe hip hop before it became the world mm. paradigm. But I think it's even beyond that. Like it might be, a movement as big as modernism itself, you know, like it could be monumental in what it's turning into because you have an entire group of some of the highest IQ people dropping out of mainstream institutions. They're actually getting pushed out of these mainstream institutions because of the lack of merit. They're now all gathering together, forming a collective mind, just like in ancient Europe, you had the Catholics who created the Latin elite. 
and got them all in the university system and got them to talk to each other out of that came alchemy science like you know all of western culture came out of that um, you see something very similar happening everybody's now formulating in these these group spaces on the internet interacting with each other sharing these ideas the best ideas truly are winning Pe- like the, the, the establishment are censoring people but it, like it's almost like the, the spirit can't be crushed like people do think mm. differently and this is like this is this is this is incredible like this is going to lead somewhere profound it's going to it's going to be a paradigm shift that we we will struggle to understand it's just going to be tough because this is so connected to the power structure that they're going to fight to like there'll be wars over this i'd say that's one white pilling thing a, a world a world war yeah yeah Steph, nice the other one is um the, the obsession about health I think really like mm-hmm. the gym culture and all that stuff and the biohackers and all that and like Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss and they're maybe normie representations of that but you know like David Sinclair Tony Robbins um, Ray P these characters are all becoming super prominent and this is never like this Nietzsche would talk about this like he was almost like the first biohacker because he had this fucking weird disease where it was syphilis Nietzsche by the way like that was mm-hmm. your problem but he, he had all these health problems and he was he, he had to biohack his way out of it and figure out how to eat and he developed his like you know niche unique diet where he was very very restrictive in what he ate um, and he was he was always complaining being like you know western culture is very idealistic it's very lost in the it's like an unintegrated thinker and we need to get back into the body and science natural and he would like of course blame Christianity for this and Platonism for this he was like Christianity and Platonism merged together to create this totally abstract delusional philosophy which pulled us completely out of the thing that matters which is the body and then going into the 20th century this was a huge theme and of course it led to like all the talk from the eugenicists and all this type of stuff and the beginning of the bodybuilders and the arrival of all that type of stuff but what we see now is it manifests in like an incredibly interesting way because technology has actually advanced so much in the last hundred years that you see these questions are finally getting a grip like this is becoming a cultural mm-hmm. paradigm like I, like a lot of people talk about returning to Christianity but I, I genuinely think that there's almost like a neo-pagan religion currently existing right now which is this sort of biohacking lifter you know bodybuilder thing like it, it's people really struggle to understand this but the Olympic Games were, were banned in Europe until I think it was like 1912 like we didn't have a conception of idealizing like we live in basically like a sort of Greek society in the old vision of like the Greco-Roman classical world where there were like people would show their bodies off and craft their bodies like that stuff just didn't happen really in Christianity mm. and the whole God is dead thing you know terrible in some ways but it did open up the boundaries for people to sort of start going back to physiques and developing themselves and developing their their capacity for strength and, and grace and and beauty and and working in the bodies and now we've got all this tech that's allowing us to like biohack and understand you know how a peptide works we can use all the advancements of like you know we we can have you can have just so much food so much protein so much milk we're all bigger than we were a couple of generations ago like the potential for this is fascinating and I actually think things like the bugs you know the bug burgers is actually almost like a manifest a shadow manifestation of this it's almost like a boss character that that the, right. the western man will have to overcome if he wants to truly reap the fruits of this incredible opportunity that he has because it's almost like like and I mean super bullish here it's almost like if we can really get the biohacking thing in, in place we could start seeing genuine life extension 
possibly even intelligence increasing, possibly even increasing of like things like, you know, with Ray Pete's conceptions, maybe the metabolism goes through the roof. And then we have people mm -hmm. of super high energy, diseases start to fall. We get like, we really, we really mitigate the last man instincts within us. And, you know, like, again, I think this is such a big deal when you look at, I'll say the, the, the two years of indoor prison, you look at that right. and you sort of understand that that was actually almost like a negating manifestation of many of these potentials because you had the worst instincts, the complacency within man, decide that I'm going to have this really authoritarian imposition of medicine upon myself for safety. And the flip of that is that you have all these really intelligent individuals with a unified, strong self-identity and, and, and creative spirit utilizing all these incredible possibilities of medicine and sovereignty and reliance so that they're obviously they're eating smart and stuff like this and taking care of themselves to extend their capacities to turn themselves into ubermensch you know and you could start to see then life extension higher faster metabolisms this would lead to more intelligence maybe even genetic improvements in intelligence all these type of things and you, you see growing out of that like a super race like a race a, a race that might not have ever been seen in mankind before and I think that is, a, I would call that the Promethean harvest of Western civilization and the manifestation of Western man to the next step. Like he, he could genuinely achieve that. And that, that possibility is so easy to see. It's so easy to see. You just go on Twitter and it's there. It's right in front of you. People are talking about this stuff and people are very interested in this stuff. And it's real. And, that, and like, I don't think people understand how unique that is. That was not there 100 years ago. That was that was that was impossible to conceive of a hundred years ago. When Nietzsche talked about this stuff, like it was like just talking about cooking meats different. But now we're at a whole different level, you know. Um, so there's that, and I guess I'm trying to think of the last stuff. Is there a third? The rule of threes is always nice, so I'm trying to think of a third one. Um, right. <laughs> like, I guess it's sort of related to the first in some sense. But I guess there's um, something like a like West Western man specifically has gone through a very very deep demoralization experience of the last hundred years. The God is dead uh -huh. thing combined with the kind of choice that we we decided to go forward with society, and I genuinely think he's really really waking up, and like we are waking up, you could say. And this leads us to a destiny. It is, this leads us to be able to say to ourselves, we're going to create something new. We're going to create a destiny. I, I, the way I often phrase this when I'm talking to the boyos and on Uberboyo is um, when the Rome fell, it was a tragedy for Rome. And it was like, it was so weird, but like Christianity would have appeared like the way the woke movement appears now. Where like all the women and the, the disenfranchised eth ethnic people, you know, it's a very strong statement, but Rome Rome had like greedy people who took in a load of slaves because they didn't want to work. And mm. then these immigrants and women all gathered together and they, they, they found an identity in Christianity. And it's sort of similar now, like you see this sort of capitalist instinct is like, oh, just bring everybody into the West. And everybody in the West is just confused. And they're all, they're like, look at England right now. There's like all these ethnicities fighting against each other. And it's chaos. And the identities are just getting pulled apart. And Western man sits in the middle of it and sort of like, well, who the fuck am I? Like, what am I doing? Like, he's looking around at society and he's like, this is what, what am I doing? Like, they're pulling down, they, they hate everything about me. And the people who are the Western people who are apparently I represent are all just like, they're just weird. They're Redditors. Like, what, what is going on? 
And it's almost like these brutal stimulants are going to make us lose something. Like we might even lose entire potentials out of entire nations and stuff like this. But it, it will, and maybe many of the beliefs that we had about having been able to live these free, open, liberal societies, which is a beautiful idea and would be amazing if we could achieve it. We're going to lose that. That's just not going to happen. And we're going to get like the harshest slap you could ever get. You know, and we're going to start to inform ourselves about like what, what exactly mistakes we made. And it's going to lead to a new perspective that becomes a vital creative possibility for the future. It leads to a new way of looking at ourselves that allows us to actually get serious and start to do the hard work of building something and standing on our own two feet and saying, what do we represent? And what, you, could, you could put it this way. We, f we find a new identity, um, like maybe that Promethean vision of ourselves that actually is fertile and real. Because right now we have a demoralizing identity. Our identity is, uh, mm -hmm. it's like essentially cuckoldry, you know? It's like, let's sacrifice to the West, to the the delusions and narcissisms of Reddit moderators and the the, the salvation of, of, you know, people who are like, you know, getting exploited by orgs and stuff like this. It's like, you know, it's just, it's, it's it, and obviously you can see the postmodern culture that comes out of that is sterile, lifeless, dead. But imagine if, if all that could flip in its head a bit and we could start to believe in ourselves again. And, you know, maybe you get wrapped up with like going to Mars or whatever, whatever way it manifests. But that would be like mm -hmm. fertile, a cultural possibility. You know, that would be amazing. That would mean, you meet so many artists nowadays who are just fucking, they're, they're like they're in the Soviet Union, just want to blow their brains out because they're on me even a little bit, you know? It's like, mm. I would have loved nothing more than just go to Hollywood and try make it in the music scene. But that, like you can't make movies these days because it's all propaganda. You know, you can't do any of that stuff. But imagine when it comes to the point where these type of creatives are, are able to stand on a paradigm that they believe in. And then we can have all these intelligent young guys apply their creativity to principles that they believe in. And you can start to see the art that is produced out of that. Like that would be just, that's just going to be blistering when it happens. You know, it's going to be insane, but it's just not here yet. So like a, in summary, there's going to be a burgeoning warrior class of vital artistic biohackers that are going to reclaim the culture. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, yeah. Put it, put it in short, man. There's the there's the tagline, I guess. Imagine if Beethoven was jacked and lived for 250 years. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And he and he Th and he made so tech for those conversations. Is there any? <laughs> is there anything you wanna you wanna plug or direct people to? Uh, you can check out my YouTube channel. I think it'd be the best. But I'll I'll share this if it's up on YouTube. And Boyops, if you're listening, give uh, Daniel here a follow. So um, I'll yeah. If any use scallywags are listening up to this one as i said give daniel a follow and we'll chat so um thank you very much sir